our God is a God who saves. When we're drowning in our fears, anxieties, our tears, He rescues us, lifts us up from the waves, beauty for ashes in a beautiful exchange. This is our God who loves us faithfully, freely. His love transforms and changes, brings us hope and healing. A God who loves more than words could ever say. He knows our deepest thoughts, yet loves us anyway. Our God is strong, victorious. He's the creator of the universe. He is glorious. Our friend, comforter, companion and guide, crying out to you now, his arms open wide. This is our God. morning. Well, you weren't supposed to see that bit. I'm going to read you a few verses from the book of Isaiah chapter 60. It says, Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together, they come to you. Your sons shall come from afar. Your daughters shall be carried on your hip. And then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall, be, shall thrill and exult because of the abundance of the sea shall be returned to you and the wealth of the nations shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you. Your camels, the camels of Midian and Ephah, all those from Sheba shall come, and they shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news, the praise to the praise of our Lord. And all the flocks of Kedar shall be gathered to you. The rams of Naboth shall minister to you. They shall come up with acceptance on my altar, and I will beautify my beautiful house. It's a real joy to be with you. Um, I always feel so blessed and so privileged to, to be here, to minister here. Uh, my wife, Kemi, isn't here. She would have loved to be here, but thanks to Dave and Karen for their, particularly for their friendship, then for the opportunity to speak here. Arise and shine, for the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Uh, the book of Isaiah, and I know you've been going through the book and picking out key themes from the book and catching something of the grandness of God in the face of mere mortal men. And yet he comes so close. And you know, the first part of the book of Isaiah, so many things there, there's so many of the corrections and the errors of the Israelites and God calling them back and the sins. The latter part, things begin to lift, lift, lift to the point he says to you, arise, shine, for your light has come, your light has come. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon you says darkness shall fill the earth. Darkness shall be upon the people. 
but upon you his glory will lift. And in the end he says, when all is done, I will beautify my beautiful house. This is a beautiful house. And he says, I'm going to just keep beautifying it. I'm going to talk to you briefly today about the glory of God. When we're talking about the glory, first of all, to talk about the expressions of glory. Uh, uh, expressions of glory. Glory in the Bible means many things. One of them is weight. Glory speaks of weight. That which is weighty, we would say. That which is heavy. That which is not easily moved. That which has gravity and gravitas. You know, he said of some people, they walk into the room and somehow they make a difference because they have gravitas. Uh, None has gravitas compared to God. The Bible talks of God's glory when he's around, when he's there. You know there's a difference because of just the weight. Before he says anything, before he does anything, he's just present. And his presence makes a difference. Weight of glory. The Bible talks about the light. A glory talks about glory in the form of light, Shekinah glory. Um, you think, for example, of Moses who says to God, says to God, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's incredible for me every time I think of this, that Moses, God calls him apart from the whole nation of Israel, from the whole of mankind, from the whole of everything, takes him to a certain place on a mountain, and he says, he and God are having a, well, a rap session. Mere mortal man with the Almighty. You see greatness and littleness there. What more could anybody want? To which Moses punctuates the moment by saying to God, Let me see your glory. God responds, Oh, Moses. Mercy oh, was up. It was going ever so well. Why would you, why would you ask see my glory? You know, no one can see me and live. I'm ever so. You shouldn't. I tell you what I'll do. How about this? How about I put you in the clefts of the mountains, and then I will pass by, and then you'll catch a glimpse of my back. How about that? We'll we'll do that. My face you won't see, but you'll see my hand quarters. So God puts him in the middle, and there in the mountains, and God passes by, and a voice thunders from heaven, shouting, glory, glory, and it's talking about God and describing all the attributes of the Almighty. What a moment. Moses would finish, go back down to be with the Israelites. When they see him coming, they say to him, Moses, what's happened to you? Because they see him walking down, carrying the stones, coming before them. They see his legs, they see his hands, they see his torso, but they cannot see his face. Because a, a whole massive ball of light is beaming forth from his face. You think, where did you get that? Oh, he just had a glimpse of the back sides of the Almighty and his face is beaming. The weight of glory, the light of glory. Oh, the Bible talks about glory in another way. 
when you want to encapsulate all glory is the physical manifestations of all the attributes of God coagulated into one place into one word to summarize it all you would say glory for us to really get it beyond the descriptions of the Old Testament God said I'll tell you what how about I come down and I'll show you my glory and he did it in the form of his son Jesus Christ the Bible tells us in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. This is the one that came from the beginning. In him was light, and the light was the life of men, and the light shines in the darkness. No one could comprehend it. And it ends in verse 14 by saying, and we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace, full of truth, expressions, expressions of glory. Glory is basically talking about how big God is, how grand God is, how unrivaled, how unequaled God is. Uh, if you were to try to describe to a little child the meaning of the word glory, I think you'd say it just means very big. Like big, big, big. My God is so big, so strong so mighty and there's nothing that he cannot you know we put those words in terms like that for little kids to get it trust me even we don't get it how big how grand it despises description Kemi and I were in, on holiday um I don't know, it must be about two years ago or something like that. It was post-pandemic. It had been just a hard run of life, you know, all of that ministry. And, um, and uh, we're going to go on holiday. Now, you need to know about me. I just think everything can be done cheaply. Yeah, everything can be done cheaply. You just, you just leave it to me. Let me think it through. I will find a cheap way and save money. This is, this is me, you know. So usually for holidays and so on, I'm thinking there's a travel lodge not far from here. That will do. Kemi's had enough. So this time, we've just been through so much. She's been through so much. And she, I'm like, okay, we'll do the kind of holiday you want. Well, when, when, the, brochure, when the, the brochure came back and I just looked way at the cost of the whole thing, this is like, no. <laughs> but I had been careless, you know, I'd gotten carried away and I gave my word we would do it. So now we have to do this holiday, you know. So we go the whole time. I am in the airport grumbling in the whatever, you know. I'm thinking the whole, you know, we get there. As soon as you come in, they give you these drinks. I'm like, that's how they get us. <laughs> that's how they do it. That's how they get, don't drink, don't drink. She, don't drink anything. Don't touch anything. No, don't do anything. It'll cost money. She just ignores me the whole thing. Then we go to, you know, we're, it's, you know, the sea is all out there. Just, you can just see the whole sea, you know, the ocean. And uh, we did because Kemi likes sitting by the sea and just looking out, you know. So hence we're here. I'm sitting there one day, still a little grumbling, you know, about the cost of all of this. Uh, the waiter guy comes. He comes to me. He says, Hello, sir, and all that. I'm like, yeah, you know. It's yeah, a good day, it's all sunny. I'm, well, you know, if you say so, you know. <laughs> he says, 
da 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 would you like to drink something? I'm like, how much? He's like, oh, since it's all been paid for. Who paid? Who paid? He says, you've paid for it all. Oh. You know, I want to make friends with you. So I said, what's your name? He says his name is Moses. You know, so my evangelism thing kicks in. It's like, he says his name is Moses. I said to him, Moses? He says, yeah. He says, my name is Moses. He said, and you know what, sir? He says, if you come here around there, around 5.30 p.m. today, he says, I will stand there and I will part the sea in two. (laughs) That's exactly what he said. I laughed and laughed and laughed. This short guy is going to part the sea into... It was so... I mean, it was the beginning of me beginning to enjoy the jolly holiday. It was just so funny. Because I see the grandness of the sea. I see the expanse of water. I'm looking at this thing, I can't see its end. And this short guy in short shorts is presumably going to stand there with a pencil and set it apart. Oh, I think not. You know why that's so funny? It's so funny because it's so ridiculous that a man will set the sea aside. And all that sea, and all that is inside it, and all that is beyond it was made by God with a whisper. That's glory. It's glory. Next time you say God is glorious, say it with a degree of reverence. If anybody really captured this, is the psalmist who says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The heavens declare the glory. The skies even speak. They, 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 they declare and proclaim how majestic this God is. It says day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. And, you know, there's no, there's no speech. There's no words that don't have voice. He says everything goes across the face of the earth. He says, you know, this God, says the psalmist, he has pitched a tent for the sun. Get that picture. Presumably the largest star he can see in the sky is the sun. The largest thing. He says it doesn't matter how big it is. This God is so big, he made a tent and said to the son, get in. And it obeyed. Since every morning, he unzips the tent and says to the son, go for a walk. And the son just comes forth. And so beautiful is the image. It says it's like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. It's like a strong man coming out for wartime. All of this is done by the word of God. This is power. This is glory. And because it was done by his word, that you may learn to reverence his word, he says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The law of the Lord, it is perfect, reviving. It revives the soul. It revives your soul. It brings it back alive. 
He talks about the testimonies of the Lord, how sure they are. It makes wise the simple. His precepts, his precepts, oh, they are so right. And they have a way of making the heart rejoice. The commands of the Lord are pure. They bring light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean. It endures forever. He says, by all of this, as it goes through the psalm, he says, by this is your, your servant comes to know who you are. He says to him, this, your word is better than gold. It's much better than honey from the honeycomb. By this, your servant is warned. He goes on to say, you know, deliver me from presumptuous sins. May they not rule over me. No, let me learn to take my place because you were so great. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart, let them be acceptable to you, my God, my Redeemer. What is he trying to say? You're so big and I see it and I know it. But from time to time, the tendency to forget comes to all of us. And when we forget who he is and his glory, Ah, consequences are there. We tend to, we can get so familiar with him and not remember that he is glorious. If there's any story in the Bible that really brings this home, it's a story in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, this, the Israelites, you know, God said to them, I am your God, I will take care of you. I am your minister of defense. I'm your minister of protection, minister of health. Whatever you need, I will do for you. Only you worship me alone. And for them to really never forget it, they had what's called the Ark of Covenant, which was not, God wasn't in there, but it represented the presence of God. So much so that when it's time for war, they just had to take the Ark with them. And they would get there. And they would win every time. You just can't defeat them. They have the presence of, the other nations knew about their God. But over time, you know, there would be war, the trumpets would blow, and then they would just go, yeah, get the ark, will you? Let's go. Let's go to war. Fine, we win, yeah, fine. Can we go home now? Thank you. You know, next time, trumpet goes, time for war. Get the ark, just go. They got casual with it. They began to use it like a charm, like a talisman kind of thing, like a rabbit's foot. Oh, just get it, put it there, everything will be fine. And so it is that on one occasion they went to war. They didn't even bring the ark. They just strolled there and they got defeated. They couldn't believe it. Then they were like, where's the ark? Get the ark. Who has the ark? I didn't bring it. You didn't bring the ark? Of course we're going to go get the ark. Only now they go back and get the ark. Then they bring the ark back. And as they bring the ark, they are still defeated. The soldiers are killed. The sons of the high priest are killed. The news gets to the high priest. He falls back and breaks his neck and dies. And as if all that is not enough, the ark of God is taken by the Philistines. This is not good. 
The Philistines take the ark away. And now you can imagine them boasting. Not just have we defeated them, we've taken their God captive. This is rude. They will find out the hard way. They take it to their little shrine. And overnight they go away. They put it there with all their other gods. They come the following morning. And their other god, Dagon, had fallen face down in front of the ark. They come in celebrating their win. They think, whoa, what happened? Whoa, this can't be good. They put Dagon back because he was made with mere mortal hands. They put him back. Following morning, they come. His hands have been decapitated. Arms are cut off. His legs are cut off. His head has been severed and it's rolling down. Now they're looking at thinking, I think it's this ark. Oh, you think? You have a hard lesson coming, my friends. Now they go around and find out people are breaking out in boils. Now nobody wants the ark. So now they move the ark to another part. You know, they have all these cities, Ashkelon and Gath. They're moving into different cities. Do you want the ark? Everybody say, no, thank you. We know what the ark does. No, thank you. We don't want that presence. So now they, what should we do? You know what they do? They decide to build a new cart and put the ark. Now they're being respectful towards God. A whole new cart. They put the ark on the cart. And then they get these goats, uh, uh, cows, to now go, go back to Israel. In fact, they put some gifts there. Because the last thing, they don't want the Israelites sending it back home. Might be turning back here. So they send it. The cows, poor innocent cows. They're just going. Moo. Moo you too. They go the whole way. You know, and it's a bit of a miracle. They find their way back to Israel. And they get to Bethlehem. Bethlehem that is not known by any of the tiniest, smallest little place. That's where the ark was. In fact, Bethlehem was so not known, it was known more about the town larger than it that was beside it called Ephrathah. And there it was for 60 years. Think about it now. For 60 years. And the whole time, presumably worship had been going on in Israel without the ark, without the presence. Sermons have been being preached without the ark, without the presence. All kinds of rituals were carrying on without the ark, without the... For 60 years, another generation grew up who thought they knew what an encounter with God looked like, but they actually didn't. They just had mere rituals. David will come now as king and he would say, we need the ark. The first thing he wants to restore is the ark to Zion. And so it is David says, you know, we must get the ark. He says, I will not enter into my house, Psalm 132. I will not enter into my bed. I will not close my eyes. I will not give slumber to my eyelids until I find a dwelling place for God. So we heard about it in Ephrathah. We heard about it in the fields of Jael. He said we must go get the ark. And so it is he goes to get the ark, which by the way, for the 60 years, is resting in the house of a guy called Abinadab. Probably just in his shed. But just there. They go to get it. And they put it on a new cart. And they're moving it now forward. All of Israel is shouting and so on. You know the story well. You know, he has two sons. One in front, Ohio, Uzzah is at the back. The cart is moving. The cart is moving. Everybody is singing, is dancing. It's just a great worship service on that day. Until the cart hits a threshold. 
because they put it on a new car. It hits a certain threshing floor. It falls, to, it just tilts to the side. Uzzah, who was one of the ones, he was in his house for 60 years, presumably had learned to get a little bit cocky. It tilts, he jumps and puts his hand to save it and he dies on the spot. He dies right there. The service ended in a hurry. David is broken. He, David says, we can't take it all the way into Jerusalem. Oh no. He doesn't want it. Why? Any, who knows what else is going to happen? He's like, I'm trying to serve you, God. How could this possibly happen? But the guy, Uzzah, is dead. At the end of it, they're thinking, okay, where do we keep the ark now? Nobody wants the ark. This is the only time they finally have some regard and respect for the ark and for the presence of God. David goes home, everybody goes home, and everything is in a mess. Why am I telling you all this? I think there's a lesson here. We have a tendency to confuse intimacy and familiarity. We have a tendency, the longer you walk with the Lord, be careful now, because you will learn how to call his name just like that. You will learn how to sing the song just like that. And something of an Ichabod begins to happen. The glory, the things you read about, we just don't see because the, is the glory shifted or moved because we got too familiar and we lose something. And then sometimes might even realize that he's been lost. David goes and takes time. He reads up and searches and realizes what they've done. And he decides to go back. He says, I have seen what is wrong. First Chronicles 15 verse 13. He says this, we did not do it according to the first, to the right order. We didn't, the ark was never supposed to rest on a cart. The ark was never supposed to rest on a cart made by hands. The ark, let me put it this way, the, the, the presence was never supposed to be on that which is made by man. It wasn't supposed to be carried by new technology, by new ways. It was the same old prescribed way that was supposed to carry it. The ark was supposed to be carried. In fact, they weren't supposed to touch it. They were supposed to put poles through the rings on the side. And then it was supposed to lean on the shoulders of the priest on men. And it was supposed to be covered so that eyes not see it. All of this was forgotten over time. And they had learned to settle for the rituals. David comes back, turns it around, and says, this is how we're going to do it. And he gets the priest to be in the right, right way, to wear the right things, to have the poles. They carry it, and then they begin to move. They begin to move and go and go. And God honors the moment. There's a big lesson here. We need to learn to respect the glory of God. We need to see the glory and respect it, but not just respect. We should honor his glory. We should learn to host his glory, to do what he wants in the right way, at the right time, for the right reasons. We should, we should make sure that we reflect his glory in our lives. This is not a small thing. We have been called to a big God for big purposes. And those big purposes must be reflected out or else we will settle for that which is routine and normal. It's one of the reasons why 
why I love this church. I come in, you know, a very kind lady greets me, we walk back, we sit there, the worship band comes in, we talk a little bit, let's pray, Dave says. All the days I've known him, this has always been the way. Let's pray. Always. Always. I've known Dave for, Dave for years. Let's pray. And then we get up praying, and the band people know how to pray. I know you take this for granted. Well, many other places, the band are preoccupied with mastering the songs and not inviting the presence. Oh, we prayed before we came out. With the heart, I could see and sense it. This is why I love the church. It's a spirit-filled church. A spirit-filled churches are spirit-filled churches because everybody in there is hungry for God. For his glory to come. Because he wants to beautify his beautiful house. Oh, David carries the ark. And guess what he does? They, began, they begin singing. The ark is being carried. This time, instead of Ohio in front, David is the one in front. See, before he had outsourced the worship to somebody else. Oh no, this time he's the one. And he is dancing until his clothes are falling off. Not just that. They started, he would take six steps. One, two, three, four, five, six. Then he would say, stop. Why? What's, who's died? No one is dead. He said, let's have worse worship. And they would worship in that moment. Everybody's, oh, well done, David, all very spiritual. Then they move another six steps. One, two, three, four, five, six. Stop. Let's worship. Not just He would sacrifice. He would give offerings. He would praise God. He would give everything. Because for him, the glory is everything. Don't let us go if your glory will not go with us. Everybody likes it. I mean, look at this congregation there worshiping every six steps. Prayer and fasting every six. Another six steps. By the time you do six steps three times, trust me, there's somebody there on the committee who is saying, yeah, excuse me, it's David, King David, excuse me. Excuse me, ever so sorry. Excuse me. Just. You know, right, that Jerusalem is 10 miles. This is going to take forever. We have things to do. We have things to David was not going to give to God that which costs him nothing. That's the call to you and I. That as we walk with this Lord and we say we want his glory, ah, let us be the kinds of people who say, Whatever you say, Lord, that's what we will do. And that day the ark got back to Israel. And that day, it says, everybody ate. The whole nation was blessed. Everyone in peace. Because that's what the presence of the Lord does. The glory of the Lord right back in Israel. I'll leave you with this story. I said to you, when the ark first came back to Israel, Nobody wanted it. Ended up in somebody's house. Bible says God blessed that guy. Think of it now. If you're there, someone just died, the king is run back to Jerusalem, the ark is there, what would you say? Would you stand there and say, well, I'll take it? I don't think so. When nobody would take it, the ark ended up in the house of the guy, Obed-Edom. Oh, let me take a flight of fancy as I leave you. Obed Edom, the ark was in his house. 
before David came back, was just there. Following morning, this, 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 is, this is my conjecture in here. Following morning, everybody gathers around Obed-Edom's house from afar. I mean, the ark is in his house. The guy who touched it died. What do you think has happened to him? They wake up in the morning and are all looking. The children are playing. The parents are saying, get away from that house. Now they're all standing saying, Obed, 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 oh. Not a sound. They knew he was dead. Until the door opened. Obed Eden comes out with a vest yawning. Obed, what? He looks at what's going on. He said, we thought you were dead. He says, no, I'm not dead. What kind of, what were you doing? He said, I was sleeping. What kind of sleep is that? Everyone's been shouting for your name. He said, Do you know, it was the best sleep. The best, deepest sleep I've ever had. It was such a peace on the inside. So usually, usually I go to bed with tears in my eyes. But on this occasion, there's, there's a presence in my house. Says, and I'm telling you, I slept with peace on the inside. I say, says this, I woke up, I walked to the fridge. It's just my habit. So like there's anything in there. So I opened it, all this fruits poured out. I don't even know who put it there. I don't, did I buy it? I don't have money. He takes out his wallet and the money keeps flowing out. He doesn't know. He says, I don't know what's going on. He's still talking. His phone rings. He's, hold on a second. Really? It's a boy? What do you mean, twins? He said, hold on, would you? It's my daughter. They've been having challenges for years. I don't know what's going on, but what I do know, there's a presence in my house. That is beautifying this house. And from that moment, Obed-Edom knew he does not control his life. There's a glory and a presence that if, he says, if I just keep inviting him, he does everything. This church, you know why I love this church? Because you love his presence. Honestly, honestly, that's why I love it. Why well, come back? keep doing what you're doing never be begged for prayer and fasting just jump into it worship times when you come you lift your hands and respect and regard him trust me because when you do that he will beautify this beautiful house then he will follow you all the way home and rest there in Jesus name and everybody said Amen.